Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in. Again, I am Kaylee Bateman, the Content Director at She Can Code, and today we're discussing being authentic whilst getting your voice heard. Sometimes it can feel like a lose-lose for women in leadership because we're often judged for demonstrating too many classically male behaviours and penalised for being too classically female. So how do you ensure your voice is heard but remain true to yourself. Luckily, I've got the fabulous Marissa Silk, Senior Staff Product Manager at Onfido with me today, who's going to share her story and give her advice on being your true self at work whilst getting your voice heard. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I am excited about this one. Um, It's something that comes up often on the podcast, uh, but we haven't gone into it in detail. So this is going to be... uh, really interesting today. Um, Can we kick off, though, with a bit about you? We want to hear all about you first um, and uh, your career um, and how you got into tech. Yeah, sure. So I am a New Yorker currently based in Berlin, um, and I did not intend to have a career in tech. I studied gender studies, uh, both in my undergrad and my master's, and I really thought that I was going to have a career doing program work uh, at a place like the UN or NGOs, Um, I really wanted to work especially with women. Um, And in many of my early roles, it turned out that I was, you know, the person in the office who was really good with computers or tech or software or updating websites. And I was really keen to like learn on the job. Um, And so I kept finding myself with all of these tech responsibilities, like sending email blasts or coding a new newsletter template or updating the website I even networked our office once. (laughs) So I've learned all kinds of tech skills along the way. Um, And at a certain point in my career, I found that I had this really natural way of bringing people from different parts of the business together in order to get work done. Um, And that was really a good fit for tech. Um, And so about halfway through my career, I I was working uh, at Elle Magazine um, on the online uh, website. And it turned out that I had the chance to work with editorial, to sit in the tech team, to work on the website content. And I had this kind of job that was at the center of all of these things. And actually, a a mentor, another a a woman VP uh, at the business had a chat with me. um, And she was like, Marissa, where where do you see your career going? What's your next job? Do you want a technical role? Do you want a business role? How do you see yourself? And I talked her through all the things that I loved about my job really about working in a team and collaborating. And she was like, I think you should Google product management because that's who you are. And so when I talk about my career journey into tech and into product, I really do feel like it's a career that found me more than the other way around. So that's kind of how I got started. And I I never looked back. Amazing. And yeah, and it's it's funny. I, I hear often a lot of ladies fall into tech, but it's also a lot of other people point out to that person hey, did you know that you do this? Because it doesn't dawn on people, does it? Even when you, you know, you get into the world of work, you sort of think, mm, oh, no, I never really understood my job. Or as you said, you, you can move around and do lots of different things with lots of different hats on. But unless somebody steps in and says, hey, did, did you know that what you're doing is in product management in, in your case? Um, yeah, you know, lucky enough to, to have a, well, a woman in leadership that stepped forward and, and noticed that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very grateful to her. Anytime I think about how my my what my career journey has been like, I I always think about her and I often talk about her uh in in interviews. I think especially in the case of tech, 
new jobs are coming up like almost every day, it feels like. And so, you know, a title that might not have existed when, you know, a person was in university or at the start of their career might suddenly emerge. Um, And so I think that having people around you who, you know, can coach you and talk you through it and highlight things that they're observing about you and about, you know, new opportunities emerging, I think that bringing, you know, connecting those dots is really important. Yes, definitely. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, leadership styles and um, uh, a woman that's stepping into a leadership role. Um, You mentioned there a great one who, you know, was still um, looking back and seeing, you know, what what other people were doing on her team and how she can lift as she climbs. Um, I'd like to start off today with, though, why do you think women often adopt a leadership style that's not necessarily them? It doesn't seem authentic to them. Yeah, it's a really tough question, but a great one. Um, and I've given I've given a lot of thought to, to to the topic. In fact, I think there's sort of a few things at play, or at least I'll I'll draw from my own experiences. So in my case, especially at the start of my career, um, I worked in largely male-dominated industries and male-dominated teams. And so as far as like role models that I could see in the business, they were all men. There weren't women around, there weren't women in leadership positions, and I didn't have access to diversity of leadership styles, in fact. So, you know, I I knew what I saw. And so when I was coming up in my career, I often, you know, emulated or mimicked or, you know, mirrored what I was observing, you know, in my own space and in my own teams and how I was being treated and managed and led. Um, I think the other thing at play is that women oftentimes are given sort of unsolicited feedback, even, you know, informally and formally. And oftentimes, especially in male dominated industries, that feedback is often coming from men. So early days in my career, you know, I received a lot of conflicting feedback, you know, and I never really knew the right way to act because, you know, one person, you know, one manager told me, oh, you need to be, you know, more firm and, you know, uh, authoritative. And then another manager said, oh, no, Marissa, you're being too aggressive, you know, and and you end up, you know, getting feedback that's completely inconsistent. And if you're a young woman in a, like, you know, early in your career, it's very difficult to know sort of how to be, um, Mm -hmm. because it feels like you're being criticized or given, you know, sort of constructive feedback tips, no matter how it is that you act. It never, at least for me at the start of my career, it never felt like the way that I was being was the right way to be. Yeah. Especially if you hear words like, like aggressive, you need to be more aggressive and, and firm. And you're standing there thinking, that's not me, you know, (laughs) and you're right. It's it's hard for, um, you know, if if you've only got male leaders above you and you're trying to relate to them, but also they're trying to relate to you and how they can give feedback to you it's just it's never going to work um I suppose a good mix as well of of leaders is important um and you know and as as well having that um we've spoken a lot on this podcast about mentorship and sponsorship and I've heard before as well that is so important to have a mix of male and female mentors um, to hear to, to hear all perspectives because also it's it's never good just hearing from um, a, a feminine voice either you know it's kind of you will never find your style if you don't hear from from a range um, of of leaders obviously um, instead of just always hearing you know 
the polar opposites probably is it you're you're in the middle thinking what on earth am I doing who on earth you know am I um she's just not good for anybody I mean mentally how you know every day must be you must be thinking I'm not quite sure of myself I suppose if you lose your own confidence as well that your team would notice wouldn't they yeah of course I mean I think anytime you come to work wearing a mask I mean, we all like mask to a certain extent at work, right? Because it's a professional environment and you would expect people to be slightly different than how they would be with their family or their friends, of course. But, you know, if you're receiving, if you're a young woman and you're receiving a lot of feedback telling you to be one way or another way or being criticized for how you are in the workplace, then inevitably what's going to happen is you're going to come to work and you're not going to be able to be yourself. And your team is definitely going to notice because. For lack of a better term, you're going to be kind of like weird or off or unnatural in in that work environment and probably inconsistent. When you're masking and pretending to be something that you're not, it's really difficult to be a consistent person uh, in front of other people. And so I do think that it really shows. And maybe people can't quite put their finger on it, but they'll definitely think to themselves, oh, there's something, something a little off, or maybe I don't know if I can trust her or you know, whatever it might be, but it's definitely going to cause that scenario is going to cause friction between, you know, you and your coworkers for sure. Definitely. Yes. I wanted to ask you about the importance um, that we're able to to be ourselves at work. And actually one of the things there you just said about consistency, if you're not yourself and you're bringing somebody slightly different every day, your team obviously will notice. And as you said, there'll be that feeling of the the team will be thinking I have whiplash I don't know if I'm coming or going um and and as you said that trust is is so important because that person you know they could they could probably pull that off for a few months um but as as you keep going obviously if you're not yourself that's quite hard to remain consistent yeah I completely agree I mean the thing about you know being able to bring yourself to work it does um depend quite a bit on what your environment is like. The space needs to be safe enough for you to want to show, you know, elements of your real self at work, right? And so there are kind of preconditions for being authentic or bringing yourself, you know, your full self to work. I would say that, you know, the goal of really bringing your full self to work is is unrealistic. But I do think that in circumstances where you know, the the values and principles that define that work environment align with your personal values, it definitely makes it easier for you to be more of yourself in your workplace. And that allows you to be more comfortable, to be more open, uh, for you to be more, um, you know, impactful with your team, to be able to build that trust, like you said. And ultimately, that will influence the people around you and also make them feel safe to be more of themselves at work. And all of this kind of has a ripple effect because ultimately people who are, you know, more themselves at work will perform better. Um, yeah. And that's that's like well proven. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I had a conversation on here recently. You just said about safe spaces um, and the 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 lady, um, the episode hasn't gone live yet. So I'm not going to ruin it for everybody. Um, if you're if you're listening to these in order. Um, but we were talking about safe spaces and she said it's. I had never fought until she was in a, a space where she didn't feel safe. How does that person feel when it's you, when you're the person that feels like you don't belong and there's there's something that's happening there, like you can't bring your full 
self to work. And she said, it suddenly I found myself in a position where I felt like I couldn't be my authentic self. Um, and she said, suddenly now, now I now I'm quite conscious of that about other people and, and how they feel. And and I love the fact that you mentioned people being feeling safe to be themselves because people just leave, don't they? You know, it's kind of they, they don't think, oh, you know, I'll stick around here and mentally I'll just worry about teams messages that are popping up all day and I just don't feel great about the environment um that I work in they will just eventually leave if they don't feel like they're being true to themselves um do you think there are things that organizations can can do to make people feel at ease you know when it comes to being authentic at work and feeling safe to be themselves yeah I mean of course but it certainly depends on hiring a certain kind of leader, because ultimately at the end of the day, leaders at all levels of the business set the tone um, and the way that those leaders show up will, you know, impact the way that everyone else shows up. So, you know, demonstrating things like situational leadership, like applying different styles of leadership, depending on the context, creating an environment where it's okay to speak up, including speaking up about something that maybe you disagree with or providing an alternate viewpoint. Um, I think creating forums and opportunities for people to be able to share their voices openly and for those leaders to demonstrate that those voices are valued in the business. Those things are all really, really important. I think also um, leaders demonstrating that it's okay to fail and that failures are really just a, a stepping stone to learning. I think that also helps create an environment uh, of safety. I think that that's really important because at the end of the day, if people, if like your, your employees, if you're a leader and your employees don't feel safe and they don't feel comfortable in that environment, I mean, for one, you're not going to get the best work and the best product out of them. But as you said, people will leave because it causes so much internal friction and so much internal strife when you don't feel like you belong in your space. Um, and that's like, at the end of the day, that's not good, good business. <laughs> No, exactly. And yeah, I completely agree on, on leaders that are so honest when things don't work and, and how you'll get around them. Um, I, I worked in an American company and I must say it is it is a culture thing. And I think in, in the UK in particular, we took ourselves out out of a lot of things, trying a lot of things. Um, and we just sort of think, well, this will go wrong, that will go wrong. At an American company, I was always told, if you want to try something, just give it a go. Try not to cost us any money whilst you're doing it, but give it a go. And if it's okay, if, if you fail, it's okay. Um, and I saw that from my leadership team as well. And that really did trickle down. I was very young at the time. And I, you, you don't have the confidence to try things, obviously, when you're very young. But seeing that your leadership team are doing the same thing, owning up to you know things that go wrong, this created this safe space that everybody could feel like they they can try things. And people at that company, they stay a really long time, they leave, they go back. You know, it's one of those cultures that you just think it's been fostered to feel safe where you can just, you know, be be your true self and, and that's it. But um, I suppose it really depends on the company, does it? it? Doesn't it? If you feel you're not safe, like you said, you're going to exit pretty far. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I think so your point about American culture is really interesting. So I'm an American currently in Berlin, but I actually moved from New York to Sydney and then from Sydney to Berlin. Um, and it was really interesting for me. So in New York, I was working in magazines and news and we had really big website traffic. It was it was a big they were big publications. And so it was really easy to try something new. And if it didn't work, we would just undo it. <laughs> And in a few hours, we would have results and we could see if we had made a good choice or not a good choice. And that sort of environment of openness and experimentation was just part of how we worked. When I moved from New York to, to Australia, not only were there cultural differences, but I also moved into banking. And as you might expect, a traditional bank is quite, you know, it's quite a bit more risk averse than a newspaper in New York would be. Um, but even there, because of the way that leadership was, it was really easy to sort of convince my peers and my managers to take a chance and to take those risks and to be open and show that kind of safe style. So oftentimes, you know, in tech, we, you know, talk about things like agile or scrum or methodologies where really they're all about kind of trying something, you know, in a time box and then evaluating how it went and then either changing or doing it differently. And so I use that kind of tech mindset with my managers in Australia to say, what if we try it out for two weeks and then we regroup as a team? And if you know it didn't work, then we never have to do it ever again. And this was a really great way to kind of open up the space and create that safety and create those kind of quick learning loops that we really needed to do our jobs. Yeah. And a great leadership style as well to, to make people feel like it's okay to try something, it will be safe. Um, you can trust me as a leader because we're going to do it in a in a set time period, and you know it's it's just taking away that risk and making people feel like um, you can you you can be trusted. Obviously, um, I always love the fact that you mentioned about speaking up um, on things that you don't agree with. It is it is hard, isn't it, when you're especially when you move more into a leadership position and you you have to have those awkward conversations. And, and as you quite rightly, one of the first things you said um, when we started this conversation was your role models up until that point have probably been men. So it is difficult. If you've seen men have those awkward conversations and then drop in and say that they don't agree with something, how, how do you do that? How, how on earth do you approach that when those conversations come up it's um I don't know it's a have you had an example where you've had to have a an awkward conversation like that oh my gosh so many (laughs) um and I have to admit that this was a really difficult skill for me to learn especially I think working in news and media in New York because in that kind of environment one it's very fast-paced um two it's almost entirely men um and three, people are loud. People are loud in a newsroom. I don't know if you've ever watched, you know, TV shows where there's, you know, it's it's based in a newsroom, but it's loud. Yeah. And people are often shouting from one, you know, area of the floor to the next or having, you know, a very spirited discussion, I'll call it, but it's loud in a newsroom. And the truth is that like, naturally, I'm really quiet. And I'm really shy. And I kept, you know, like looking for those moments where I might be able to interject. And I kept, you know, like those moments kept passing me by. And then the conversation, you know, would have, you know, migrated five, six, seven topics. And that moment for speaking up was completely gone. Mm -hmm. And I kept leaving these conversations feeling really frustrated with myself, thinking, 
Martha, why didn't you jump in? You had something to say, you didn't agree or, you know, whatever it was. And I think the environment was probably safe, but I just couldn't quite figure out how to do it. Um, and of course, you know, in school, you're used to raising your hand and someone calls on you, but that's not what it's like in the workplace, at least when you're co-located. Of course, you know, tools like Zoom, you know, and Google Meet have added, you know, a virtual raised hand. It makes it, you know, much easier for shy people. But when you're in a really noisy office, it's really difficult to speak up. So I decided to teach myself how to do it. So what I did is I basically looked around the office or I thought about my past jobs, about people who, you know, use their voice productively. How did, and I, I tried to observe. So how did this person interject? How did this person speak up? How did this person find a way to enter a conversation that seemed like it was completely closed? And I just, you know, took this approach where I watched for, you know, a week or two, just trying to sort of figure out how other people did it. And then, you know, when it came, you know, to attending these kinds of meetings or conversations, I would, I would try and sort of like channel that person in my mind. And at first it was kind of slow, right? Because I'm, I'm observing and I'm thinking, oh, you know, this person would have spoken up right there. So the first moment, the first sort of step was to observe and then figure out, oh, I should have jumped in there to try and sort of identify those moments. And then a couple of weeks later, once I got good at that, I tried speaking up. Hey, I have something to say. Hey, can I jump in? Um, you know, hey, I, I actually am not sure if I agree with that. And I found these ways to kind of jump into the conversation. And you know what? It worked. People stopped. They made space for me. I was able to share, you know, my opinions and my views. And the more that I was kind of seeing the positive results of my behavior change, the more I wanted to do it. And the more I wanted to jump in and the more I wanted to sort of be, you know, a different version of myself in those moments. And it felt so great to sort of see the progress over those weeks. Yes, uh, I love that. I, it's, I, it doesn't happen overnight. As you said, it happens over several weeks. I think as well that you just noticing how people respond to other people in a group, the people tend to, um, when people do start to to, to speak up and, and share their opinions, it's people tend to listen as well to people that they know they can trust, that what they say is going to happen. And all of that is built over time. You know, people, you know, trust is earned and you need to build that over time. Um, and the more you speak up and the more you actually act on the things that you say and that you're going to do the more you know the more people listen um but yeah it takes a while doesn't it to 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 build that up it's not something like you go into a workplace and after four days um you're heard and trusted and everything's wonderful um that really does obviously take take a little while it definitely takes time Re yeah do you have any advice um, on how our listeners can find a leadership style that is true to themselves? We've spoken a little bit about, you know, it's, it is difficult if you've had a lot of all-male um, leadership and some great leadership in there as well. Um, but uh, how how do you find a style that is true to you? Yeah, it's really tricky, especially if you haven't observed role models in your own workspace that you can kind of channel in those moments when you're trying to think about how you want to grow yourself. Um, but for me, I approach it quite similarly to, you know, what I've, I've just explained. I kind of thought about people 
from school, whether it be teachers or peers, thought about people in my workplace, again, whether it was, you know, leaders from different areas of the, the business or people in my team. And I really kind of thought about traits that they were exhibiting that I thought were positive and resonated with me and also were productive in the workplace. And I kind of wrote a list for myself to say, okay, I really like how this person, you know, interjects in a meeting. And I really like how this person tells a story when they present. And I really loved, you know, how, you know, this leader kind of speaks softly when they're trying to make a really important point. And I channeled all of these kinds of, you know, traits that I was observing around me throughout my life. And I just kind of made this list. And then when I would go to work, I would, you know, keep this list with me and I would refer to it. And I would kind of think like, you know, what is, what does like professional Marissa do in this moment? Well, professional Marissa would do this and this and this. And over time, I just, you know, the gap between who I was and who I wanted to be just grew smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until, you know, I was that person that I really wanted to be. Um, so I just kind of picked and chose from the best of what I had observed in my environment and just kind of tried to channel that person as much as I could. I think through this process, there's a few things that can help you. One is to be really gentle with yourself. Like creating personal change is really difficult. And we really need to, you know, give ourselves space to get it wrong or have a misstep or think, you know what, I liked how this person did it, but it doesn't work for me, actually. So you strike it off your list and you make a change. I think also having, you know, people like champions or sponsors and mentors, you know, cheering you on and helping you learn and grow and even giving you tips. Hey, Marissa, you know, I saw that you tried a new thing in this meeting you know, maybe next time it would go better if you did, you know, this, right? So having people who can kind of observe you and coach you on that journey, you know, can also be really helpful, especially when, you know, maybe it feels like it's it's too hard. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that you mentioned speaking softly, actually, and you and that you took that as a positive from a leader um, and, and you thought, Actually, when you're serving them, you you still that they they are are heard well, even though they're speaking softly. How do they do that? And it was something that you saw as a positive because people see things, especially feminine traits. They sort of think, well, you know, that's that's almost a weakness in that point. You have to be, as you said earlier, aggressive and loud and shout. But actually, just seeing that somebody can can have the same effect but speaking softly. Um, it's so interesting as yeah that that you started to observe you know you don't always have to be that aggressive male typical male leader um really interesting because you so you mentioned um you are naturally quiet and reserved um do you have any advice to someone who is struggling to to find their voice and 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 speaking up i mean you mentioned there about just just really just observing um what what people are doing and 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 finding your leadership style. You also mentioned earlier um, that z- things like Zoom really help. And I have always wondered that actually did the, especially in tech, was it the introverts that suddenly thought everything just got much easier because now we're all on a level playing field, we can all see each other and you can just raise your hand. So do, do you have any advice for people perhaps when you're not on Zoom and you might be back in person and, you know, how to how to find your voice? 
Yeah, of course. So I think finding an ally in the room can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, in university days, I was really shy to speak up. I often wanted to sort of contribute to the discussion, but I really, I couldn't make it happen uh, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, for example. I was just too shy and and too insecure, to be honest. And so I remember at the start of the semester, I would approach my professors and say, hey, I really want to be a person who contributes to this, but I'm too shy. So can you just call my name? (laughs) At different moments (laughs) of the discussion, can you just call my name and ask what I think? Because inevitably, I always have an opinion. I like to have opinions. I, I think all the time. I'm thought, I'm a thoughtful person by nature, but I kind of need you to create this space for me. And you can do this in your workplace too. So you can, you know, tell a person who's, you know, if you have people in your team who are often the ones chairing the meeting, you can tell them, hey, you know, at key moments, can you just call on me and ask what I think? And if I don't have something to say, I'll say pass and that'll be fine. But more likely than not, I will have something to contribute. And I'd really love if you would support me in that way. You know what? And people want to help their team members shine. They want to help create that space. They want people to feel comfortable. And so I I can't imagine a situation where if you approach, you know, a person who often leads meetings in that way, I, I can't imagine somebody saying no to you. So that's my number one recommendation. The other recommendation I have is that actually something that I did is I started volunteering to chair the meetings. So I've personally found that it's actually a lot less scary to be the facilitator than to be a person in the meeting itself. Because first off, that means that I kind of have been given permission to speak by virtue of holding that facilitator you know, seat. But also it means that I can create a mechanism for engaging the people in the room in a way that feels comfortable for me. So maybe I ask people to, you know, write some notes and have a quiet think about, you know, a few questions or a few like prompts. And then I go around round robin and I call on everyone in the room and everyone kind of shares what they've written down. This is a really great way to engage people of all different, you know, personality types and comfort levels um, and thinking styles. And if you are the one facilitating, then you have the opportunity to create an environment that feels great for you. Yes, yes. And, and I think to a lot of people that are quite shy, that think that having the thought of thinking chairing something would just be so frightening for some people. But actually, it's one of the best things that, that you that you can do. As you said, you get to create that space and just getting over that that little hurdle or that little thought in your head where you think, oh, no, that's that would be really frightening. Um, you can just get past that and then make sure that you're making a space for yourself and everybody else as well um, to feel like they can be heard. That's great advice. Um, I love that. I haven't heard that one before. The, with the mentors, um, that is super interesting. Uh, as you said, most people want to help other people shine. I completely agree with that. And that it's always okay to ask because some people – they feel frightened to ask, don't they, other people to say, you know, will you be my mentor? Will you help me with with something? But most people, nine times out of ten, they they will say yes. Um, uh, but yeah, there's always that sort of strange, strange feeling, isn't there? Do do you have any advice on finding a mentor? It's a little bit more than just will you be my mentor. Um, <laughs> how, I have... how do you find one? Do you do you find them in 
you know, a range and do you find them in different places? What's, what would you say? I have tons of advice on this topic. I have been both a mentee and a mentor for many years uh, in my career. And actually at Onfido, I even run a mentoring program for the product org. Um, so there's plenty of ways that you can find a mentor. One is that you can be a little bit brave and approach someone that you like or you observe or, you know, you think would be a great you know, companion for you on your journey. And you can say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a mentor. Do you have capacity? I think that's a really easy way to kind of bring it to them to see, to ask if they have time and, and energy for that. Um, but I think that also you can ask your manager to pair you up with someone. So I've helped, you know, I do this through the mentoring program, but in the past, I've also had managers find me a mentor. And that is a lot less scary because ultimately then your manager is approaching peers or people they know or have relationships with. It's also a lot you know, easier for that person if they don't have capacity or interest to say no to your manager than to a person like to the mentee space. <laughs> so <laughs> having a, ma- a manager sort of facilitate that, you know, is a really good way to get started. Also now, especially since uh, the pandemic, there are plenty of online opportunities for finding a mentor if you want to connect with someone outside of your org, especially if you work in a small company. Um, so I used to mentor uh, with an amazing platform called Coffee Code Break, and it's mentoring by women for women in tech. And uh, there are mentors all over the globe, speaking a variety of languages with expertise in a variety of subjects. Another friend of mine started a mentoring platform called My Mentor Path. So if you're feeling you know, too intimidated to find a mentor in your own space or to even you know, tell your manager that you'd like a mentor, there's all of these resources online that will you know, help pair you with a great person. Yes, uh, that's that, that great advice as well. You are right. Some people might feel a little bit awkward and, and might not have the capacity and don't know how to say to you, you know, it's a no now, brain check. Um, but yeah, if it's to a manager, um, that's great. I mean, you you wouldn't even, I probably wouldn't even have thought of that, of asking a manager to find a mentor. You naturally think, well, you know, it's it's all on me. Um, also, com- some companies obviously have like a matching service um, that, that can help, but um, that's not always available to everybody. Um, while we're on the subject of mentors, do you, you had mentioned that you've been the mentor and the mentee. Um, do you have any amazing female role models um, in, in your life um, that, that that they can be, you know, mentors or they could be role models from, from home or home environment? Who, who in your life um, inspires you? I have to say that I've been very lucky. Over the years, I have collected such an amazing group of, of women and men uh, who have been role models for me over the years. I think in the earliest days, I had some amazing teachers, especially in high school. They were women who saw something in me that I didn't yet see in myself. And they took an interest and they spent time with me and they pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And I really think that those kinds of relationships really started me on a different kind of path, to be honest. And then of course, doing gender studies you know, for my bachelor's and master's, you know, those programs are full of women, amazing women uh, with different personalities and styles and interests. And to see all of the sort of diversity in a group of people that, you know, society kind of views as homogenous, just entirely not the case. I think that was also a really positive experience for me. 
in my current work environment, um, I work with a ton of great women. I um, I have tons of mentees at Onfido, in fact, uh, and we have amazing women uh, in our product team. Is it okay if I give them a, sh- a shout? Yes. <laughs> so our product team is uh, currently led by our CPO, Yulin, and our VP of product, Therese. I have amazing mentees in Julia, Virginia, Raluca, and so many more. I think that it's really unusual to find a product team with so many stellar women. Um, and I feel really lucky to be a part of this group. Yes. And as a company, you you, you must have worked hard as well to, to foster that, that those ladies want to stay, that they want to progress. There's always that feeling of feeling safe and moving forward. Um, I think some people, especially when they start to, companies that start to look into working on diversity and their culture, so they think things might magically happen overnight, but they really don't. You know, a company really has to work hard to to make sure um, that everybody, not just leadership, and um, everybody, you know, feels safe. They can bring their authentic self to work every day, um, and they stay. Um, and obviously, they're there to to move the company forward. Um, but that doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And visibility is so key. So, I mean, as you've said, you have to be purposeful in recruiting women and recruiting people from, you know, diverse backgrounds into your teams, of course, but also making them visible internally and externally is really important because it shows, you know, people who might be thinking about a career at your company, hey, there are people like you here and it's okay, you know, to be whoever you are and we welcome you and we value you and we want you to be here. And so, you know, for me, especially as I've grown more senior in my career, I've tried to find moments where I can make myself visible to other women in tech to say, hey, there are women here and there are women in positions of leadership or really senior roles here. And you can have a career just like mine, you know, and you can be welcomed and belong and, you know, find success. So I really do think that, you know, as we get more senior, it's really important for us to create that visibility so that, you know, women of the younger generation see that there's a space for them. Yes, definitely. Uh, that is lovely advice to end it on because we are already out of time. I could keep talking on this subject um, for another half hour. Um, we are already out of time. So thank you so much, Marissa. It has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and chat with us today. Thanks for having me. And for everybody listening, as always, thank you for joining us and we hope to see you again next time.